The Ready, Set, Grow podcast is sponsored by Ag Expert, software designed for Canadian agriculture. Visit them today at agexpert.ca. Welcome to the Ready, Set, Grow podcast. Today we're here with RHA founder Joe Dales. In this podcast, we like to showcase startups and interesting stories from the agriculture and food industry. Today on our show, we have Rob Syke, founder of AgVisor Pro. Rob is a leading entrepreneur in the ag tech and agriculture space, and uh, we're really happy to have him here today. Uh, Rob, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, Michael, I've known your dad for a long, long time. Uh, him and I have uh, had uh, paths in building businesses. My background is uh, basically a farm boy growing up in northeastern Alberta, um, a U of A uh, grad from Edmonton in agriculture. I built uh, about 15 companies, so I'm not going to go through them all, but uh, everything from um, fertilizer manufacturing um, to uh, agriculture retail operations. Um, most notably, I suppose, would be the approximate 20-year journey of building AgriTrend into one of North America's largest agricultural consulting firms and AgriData with an exit of AgriTrend and AgriData to Trimble, which is um, AgriData now is Trimble Ag Software going globally. Um, a, um, uh, about a 14-month uh, stint with uh, Dot Technology Corporation with an exit to Raven. Um, got a, a shares in a farm in Uganda. I've been uh, privileged to travel around the world, uh, uh, spending a lot of time with big thinkers uh, like Peter Diamandis, uh, or even uh, one of my highlights has been six hours with Bill Gates talking about ag tech in, 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 the, in, in the world and how it can help farmers and consumers. So um, we're a really varied background. I do a lot of keynote speeches and have written two books. So that's kind of me. Awesome. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, AgVisor Pro? Yeah, AgVisor Pro was uh, uh, conceived uh, or the genesis was in the fall of 18 when I began to think about a new way of creating connectivity in agriculture. It, it seems silly to me that we would put people on an airplane in a rental car, drive them out to a field or a hall to have a 45 minute session and then drive them all the way back home. And so right now, because of uh, what we're experiencing here with technology right now, what we're doing is a shrinking of time and space. And so AgVisor Pro um, is the combination of eHarmony together with Uber, together with uh, FaceTime, together with Twitter. And so I began to uh, test out the idea with farmers in the fall of 2018. Uh, They seemed to think that if I could pull this off that we would have something that they could use, it would be useful. Um, Struck the company in December of 18. Uh, poured my own capital into the development of the AgVisor Pro connectivity platform, was launched July of 19, raised a friends and family round, continued to pour money into AgVisor Pro. Um, March of uh, 19, I returned from my mission with DOT uh, and assumed the CEO role of uh, AgVisor Pro platform, which was now built. COVID hit, and COVID has created a perfect background for the conversation of AgVisor Pro, which is a connectivity platform which shrinks time and space. And Michael, what it does is it puts experts on the farm without having to be on the farm. And we're seeing an explosion, explosion of ideas and opportunities that I'm sure we'll discuss 
about how to utilize AgVisor Pro to monetize brains and to support the agricultural sector in almost any capacity. Yeah, that's great, Rob. And uh, yeah, very innovative using the smartphones to uh, to connect up experts and farmers and, and agribusiness. I wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more about your adventures with Norbert, um, getting dots, you know, kind of uh, pre-commercial and uh, we had the pleasure to see the first commercial unit um, in Ontario on Chuck Berichich's farm a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, just really early stage on the whole robotics and automation side. So why don't you share a little bit about uh, the dot adventure that you uh, undertook? Well, uh, Advisor Pro, like I said, Genesis was in 2018, early 19. I began to pour my money into Agvisor Pro, uh, but most of the development for Agvisor Pro was actually being done in Vietnam. And uh, at that time, uh, I hadn't developed a coding team. So uh, I had extra capacity and I needed to, to have some income. And so I, uh, Norbert reached out to me, the Bougeot family, and said, could you help us with... Uh, setting up of a retail strategy for, for DOT. And DOT is a U-shaped autonomous platform, U-shaped autonomous platform, uh, DOT Technology Corporation. And uh, it promises to do uh, several different kinds of field operations, including seeding and spraying and fertilizer spreading and grain, uh, grain cart hauling all autonomously in a brand new type of a, of a, of a framework. So I agreed to do that. And that was January. I came on with... Uh, the Bougeot family as a contractor and basically helped to formulate some ideas for them, um, began to put together an advisory board for them. And then in June, their CEO resigned and uh, the departure of their CEO meant that they had a gap and Norbert turned to me and said, can you help us uh, with this? And so I went from kind of a, a consultant to a contracted CEO for DOT. Uh, number, one, uh, number one objective uh, at that time was raising seed capital. We needed to raise a significant amount of capital to uh, to take DOT to the next level. And so I was embarking on a significant seed round when Raven Industries signaled their interest in investing in DOT. Um, we, uh, we went from that being a minority interest to a majority stake in DOT. Uh, terms sheet was signed on October 13th. We we signed on October 31st. We closed on November 12th. We had 800 and some pages of legal documentation. And uh, so Raven became a majority uh, owner with, uh, with the Bougeot family having significant stake in DOT. And uh, that relationship uh, 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 tightened up and increased. And in um, early 2020, Raven indicated that they would like to have uh, 100% ownership of DOT. Um, it fit with the Bougeot family's plans. And so that consummated, uh, the deal kind of came together in March. That ended my mission with DOT. I didn't need to be there anymore. And uh, so the Bougeot family now uh, has exited DOT uh, Technology Corporation with Raven assuming. And it all worked out, Dale, because uh, you know, Norbert was the, the brains behind DOT, the idea generator. But really, there's so much uh, electronics and sophistications around um, controls and robotics and all that stuff. And that really is in the wheelhouse of Raven. So I think that it worked out good for everybody. And, 
and still the Bougeot family is uh, contracted to do a lot of construction and stuff like that. And, and for me, it was a whirlwind. Uh, we, you know, we killed four lawyers in the process because uh, that was a lot of work in a very short period of time. Yeah. And a big transaction and a great exit for, uh, for Norbert and his family. And, uh, you know, huge success for Saskatchewan, yeah. really. Um, you yeah, know, bringing, and they're still bringing you know, that world-class innovation to the marketplace. So we'll have yeah, to grab Norbert. Committed to manufacturing in Saskatchewan and hiring yeah. Canadian people, and the Canadian marketplace is the first uh, target for for Dot. So it all worked out good for Nor uh, Bougeot family and and for Canada, I think. Well, and the farmers, I, as I say, yep. I saw the first one in the field with uh, with Chuck, and uh, he was really excited about. You know, it was working way over in the field spreading fertilizer. Yeah, I think last year after you and I had supper, I think that I, I cruised on over to Chuck's uh, facility uh, yeah. on the western side of the province. A beautiful plant, uh, great yeah. grain facility, and what a remarkable bunch of people over there. They're really talented, Chuck and his team. He's one of my favorite innovative farmers. Haggerty Creek. Haggerty Creek. <laughs> Haggerty Creek, yeah. Yeah, and you've got a, a good bunch um, the other, the other uh, thing we should talk about is your power farm group. I'm always, uh, I'm always intrigued by, um, you know, Terry and, uh, um, you know, Chris Meyerly and folks like that, how, uh, how they've really enjoyed that. So can you chat a little bit about uh, what that's all about and what, what you've learned from that adventure, what it is and what you've learned? Well, um, the power farm group is a peer group for powerful farmers and you know, and not to be uh, ostentatious or anything like that, but these guys uh, don't go to the coffee shop. These guys are talked about in the coffee shop. So if you kind of get that thing, they're, uh, they're movers and shakers. And what people don't understand is, is the absolute, absolute enormous size of operations today. They're all family owned. They're all family farms. They're just incorporated and run. But uh, many of these people uh, are, are farming anywhere from 10 to 30,000 acres and, and over. And they're doing it in, in an excellent way. So the Power Farm Group is a, a peer program uh, for farmers to get together. And I have two groups. Uh, it's been going on nine years now. The second group started two years ago. And uh, the first group's been going on for nine years. We meet three times a year. And, uh, and uh, we discuss the farming business, the business of farming. And uh, it's a chance for these guys to, to get together and, um, and uh, be very frank with each other about the challenges they're facing in running operations. And uh, one of the things we've been able to do is build up a high degree of trust amongst these uh, power farmers because none of them are neighboring, so they don't compete for land or people and stuff like that. That's very important. Uh, so, uh, you know, what goes on in the group stays in the group and uh, they've they've been confident enough to go naked in front of each other. And what I mean by that is that we share our financial information with each other. So the ability to uh, to have and do benchmarking uh, within the peer group and just recently, Joe, you wouldn't know this, but just recently we've we've started we, we approached the Canadian Management Council about trying to harmonize our benchmarks with theirs. But. Um, that didn't really lift off the launch pad the way I wanted to. And so we've started to establish a collaboration with MNP that has about 150 or so top-notch growers in their cohort. And we're starting to uh, harmonize our benchmark numbers and ratios with theirs. 
And um, that just happened. We get together as power farmers three times a year. Uh, so the two groups are separated in March and uh, we just finished our summer farm tours. So we get everybody together and we visit a different farm every year and that's just a blast. And then we have two groups that get together, theoretically get together in December where we have the whole groups together. And uh, it's been just a wonderful program. Uh, you know, there's almost 308,000 acres in those, amongst those 20 farmers and uh, uh, over a billion dollars in, in manageable assets. So the numbers get pretty big pretty quick. Yeah, and some pretty wonderful, innovative guys. So, um, you know, good for you. I think uh, the other thing I'd like to just talk about is, uh, you know, bought your, uh, I guess, your most recent book last uh, last year at the uh, yeah at the farm show. Um, you know, I, I there's a lot of topics in there, but uh, you know, what what what's on your radar right now? What uh, what's the issue that that farmers and agribusiness need to be you know, thinking of from your thought leader perspective that maybe they aren't because I know sometimes we get a little bit too, too caught up in the day to day and in the end of the minutia, but what, uh, you know, what is, what is, what's the industry need to be thinking about that they're not maybe spending as much time on as, as you would like? Well, first of all, the book food 5.0, how we feed the future was written for, um, a mom, um, with two, three kids in an urban setting. So they would understand more, about the business of farming, and they would understand uh, uh, that uh, um, that agriculture uh, in integrates a lot of science. And and I wrote the book, Joe, because I was pissed off that people would be scared of their food, and uh, and and they're buying all kinds of. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll use one example as my favorite uh, Himalayan rock salt. So this is this is Himalayan rock salt. <laughs> no. Been in the Himalayan mountains for billions of years. It's got a best before date of next July, so you got to make sure you do it. And it's got a non-GMO sticker on it because everybody knows that Himalayan rock salt with a non-GMO sticker is worth the extra buck fifty you pay for this. Bullshit. So, anyways, uh, I was tired of the bullshit, and so I've, I've written a book that really highlights the business of agriculture as it pertains to science, and uh, and I highlight the fact that like the power farm group. Those are farmers of consequence, and there's not many of them. And uh, they're like 0.2% of the population. Uh, their voice is not heard, and yet uh, they grow 80% of the food. Uh, no disrespect to smaller farmers or, or hobby farmers or farmers that have multiple sources of off-farm income, but farmers of consequence make their living by farming and generally employ their family and a whole bunch of other people to farm, and those are farms of consequence. And so. I want people to understand them better. I want people to understand that food is safe. Um, and, I, and I think, Joe, the frustration that I'm having is agriculture is so fragmented. There are so many different agricultural associations and lobby groups and stuff like that. And um, everybody says we should do something. We should share our message. And so my son, Nick Syke, uh, produces No Ideas Media, and there's a K-N-O-W, No Ideas Media. There's 120 videos uh, on his YouTube channel about agricultural science, and do you think we can get the support we need to amplify that message? They're there, they're free, they're produced, they're paid for, we just need people to spread the word. 
And it's very difficult for agriculture to do that. Uh, can I go on a little bit more? Sure. I'll give you an example. Okay. So right now it's uh, methane from cows. And so agriculture needs to get out there and to teach some basic science. Uh, so the first things you need to know is methane has a half-life in the atmosphere of 10 years. Carbon dioxide has a half-life in the atmosphere of 1,000 years. Now, um, grass grows and it gets its carbon from carbon dioxide through photosynthesis from the atmosphere. It pulls it in the grass. The cows eat the grass. They get the carbon from the grass and they turn that carbon into protein. So all cows are vegan. Steaks are vegan because cows eat the grass. We eat the cows. Anyways, uh, the cows uh, eat the grass and they burp out methane. Well, the half-life of methane is 10 years. So guess what the methane converts back into? Carbon dioxide. So it's a cycle. So explain to me how cattle make more greenhouse gases. It's impossible. It's a cycle. The only way it would happen, Joe, is if there were more cattle in North America or on the planet. But unfortunately, the peak of the cattle herd happened in 1971 in North America. When Columbus landed, there was 100 million ruminants that burps out uh, methane uh, on, in North America. Today, there's about 100 million ruminants. So explain to me how uh, livestock is increasing greenhouse gases, and yet Hollywood and Burger King and all these freaking people are out there saying, we got a problem. Well, I'll tell you what, a whole bunch of land is not suitable for cropping and turns that cellulose and hemicellulose from grass into excellent protein for human consumption, and that's what cattle do. So explain to me about cattle poisoning the planet. Um, anyway, it's just, th this is the thing that upsets me, uh, is the spin to the consumer and the deceit, the lies, the deception, the falsehoods, the distortions to consumers to pull additional dollars out of their pocket. And a lot of it happens by our own agriculture community, our own agri, there are companies out there that sell GMO canola seed to farmers and all the inputs, buy the canola, crush the GMO canola, and yet invest in the non-GMO project label for another side of their business. That's, that's just preposterous to me. Yeah. Yeah, complex and uh, you know quite controversial as you pointed out. Yeah, um, I guess uh, sort of based on your experience, Rob, uh, where do you think uh, innovation is needed in the uh, agriculture and food space? Well, I think that innovation happens. I think that uh, uh, Canada in particular, I'll plug Western Canada, but Canada in particular is, uh, is well suited uh, to innovate. And the reason for that is we have a very, like people say you should to innovate, think outside the box. And uh, Peter Diamandis and Ray, uh, Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach would say that that's not how innovation happens. Innovation happens when the box is very small and you're constrained within a small box and you have to innovate inside that box. And Canada, we have to, we have, in Western Canada, we have to seed a crop in 30 days. We grow it in 100, 110 days. We have to take it off in 30 days and that creates all kinds of constraints and all kinds of innovation. Canadians are well-educated. We have good uh, access to technology. And so consequently, uh, the rise of the air seeder, the rise of uh, robotics, uh, uh, the, uh, so many innovation in precision agriculture, like the AgriTrend Group or Farmer's Edge or any number of companies. Uh, you know, um, what's uh, the, the Terrace? Uh, what's the one out in Eastern Canada right now? Um, anyway. There are lots of innovations happening in Canada, 
So I, I don't think, Michael, the problem is where is innovation needed? I think innovation happens because people are passionate about coming up with ideas. I tell you where the lack, where the problem is right now in Canada is, uh, is, in, is in seed funding. I, I think somewhere between the angel round, angel funding is difficult. Seed round funding is even harder. I'm trying to raise a million and a half. So I, I put in a sizable chunk of my own capital. I raised a friends and family round. Uh, and now I'm in the middle of a 1.5 to $2 million seed round. I've raised a half a million, mm -hmm. but this seed round thing is hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need an ecosystem there that is capable of understanding agriculture and technology and stroking a check uh, to make bets on companies that could lift themselves into the A round and beyond. We can be, like AgriTrend was a real success story. We grew AgriTrend to one of North America's largest firms, um, 185 people, a data platform. We did precision ag, agronomy, grain marketing, business strategies, and we did a great exit to Trimble. So everybody's patting me on the back. Well done. Well, what, is it really well done? Because if I would have had access to more capital when I needed it, we'd have still been going globally with AgriTrend. So that's kind of where I see some of the challenges. Yeah, good point. Um, I guess sort of uh, adding on to that, though, um, so you have a lot of experience starting your own businesses. Uh, what advice would you have for young entrepreneurs uh, just starting out? Well, uh, first of all, test the idea out. Just don't get, don't get enamored with your own idea. Test it out. So you, you heard in the earlier part of this interview that I mashed together, you know, eHarmony with uh, FaceTime and Uber and I, I tested out the idea with farmers. I wanted to find out if this really solved an issue or if it was useful. And, and they said, yeah, this could be useful. So that's the first thing is, is test out your ideas with real people. Don't get enamored and, and um, you know, get, get sold on your own idea. The, the second thing is uh, um, at some point, at some point you have to burn the boats. Going back to Persia, when the Persia invaded Greece, they burnt the boats and there was no way for them to get back. I think that's the, the legend. And, and the last one is uh, crossing the Rubicon. And so when you're, when you're uh, you know, if you're going to go to, to uh, Rome and you cross the Rubicon armed, the river of the Rubicon armed, then you put, uh, you know, you're, you're signaling to Rome that you're going to war. So I think that these are all uh, statements of, of commitment. And uh, I see, um, and it's difficult. I get it. I get it. Because you're trying to raise a family, you got an idea, and you need enough money to try to keep the idea going. And so you're doing two or three things on the side. But at some point, you need to burn the boats. And you need to make sure that you're all in this thing. Investors want to see you all in this thing. They want to see your own capital in it. Uh, they want to see you focused in on it. If you're not focused on it, focused on the idea, if you're not committed to waking up every day and working on it, why should their capital be deployed into you? Those are some ideas. And, uh, and maybe the last thing, Michael, would be um, to the extent that you can, and I'm going to give you a plug, uh, Joe, on this right now. To the extent that you can as a young entrepreneur, every new business needs a website. 
but that doesn't mean you need to be a website developer to develop. Just get it done. Get a basic one done. Every startup company needs some legal help. Every startup company needs to register their trademarks. Every st startup company needs some administration to the extent that you can outsource that in an incubator or something. Do that because that will accelerate, allowing you to focus in on, on what it is, is your unique ability or your, your idea. Great points. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to have you back again, Rob. Uh, I know we can chat for hours, um, you know, on innovation and ideas and, and technology. And I've always been really impressed and proud of your success. So congratulations on that. Um, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Uh, I have one closing comment, and that is I would encourage everybody to download AgVisor Pro off of iOS or the Android store uh, and, and start. It's free, and you can start playing with it immediately because you can connect to any company. It's called a tech direct solution. You can connect to any company that has reps or products on AgVisor Pro for free, and if you want to connect to one of our advisors and pay for their advice, then that also is available for you. So please download AgVisor Pro. Awesome. Uh, how can uh, people connect with you, Rob? Uh, they can connect with me by downloading AgVisor Pro. <laughs> I'm available on AgVisor Pro. Awesome. Uh, they also can go to my URL. So robertsyke.com, S-A-I-K, uh, robertsyke.com is there. Of course, AgVisor Pro. Awesome. All right. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us today, Rob. And uh, thanks for everyone uh, who was listening. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just great having you on.